conversations from the front lines of marketing. This is B2B Growth. Welcome back to the Media Brand Series here on B2B Growth, where we're learning out loud from the smartest media practitioners to figure out how we can build every leader's favorite corner of the internet. My name is James Carberry. I'm the founder of Sweetfish, and I'm here today with our executive producer, Dan Sanchez, and this is episode four in our series with Tyler Lassard, who is the mastermind, the brilliant dude behind Sales Feed. He's obviously got a team of folks helping him with that and bringing that to life. And and he's talked about that in in previous episodes, but Tyler was really the one that advocated for this strategy before there was a team. And so as Dan and I have learned more about sales feed, the massive success that they have had, they've built an audience of over a hundred thousand people in less than a year. So reached out to Tyler and we're like, Hey, let's do this series. So if you have not checked out episodes one, two, and three, absolutely need to do that. Scroll back through the B2B growth feed go and listen to uh, the first three episodes of the series. But Tyler, today, man, we're going to be talking about process. So we've talked about a large variety of things so far as it relates specifically to building media brands. And last week, we talked about the roles. We talked about there being four different roles. Obviously, you can mix and match in a lot of different ways. But now I want to talk about how those roles start to play together. And so let's just kind of kick off at a high level. So for those that didn't listen to episode three, kind of quickly recap what those four roles are and then talk through us, like, what's the creative process for how you have these four people working together? And then we'll dive in from there. Perfect. So when you think about the team structure, we landed on these four kind of fundamental um, skill set areas, which to your point could be individual people or they could be uh, c- comprised of a smaller a smaller set of people. But the four main functions are the editor-in-chief or the journalist, the producer of content, particularly multimedia, the talent who is going to be in front of the camera, in front of the microphone, acting as the evangelist slash advocate, one or more, of course. And finally, the social media strategist, who in some cases may also be a YouTube specialist, if that's a key channel for you. So that's effectively how we had our team built out. And those roles and responsibilities were pretty clearly aligned um, after a couple of months of figuring out exactly what we were doing. Yeah. So we talked a little bit in the last episode about how, if you're just listening on the face of it, some of those roles could sound a little redundant. So one that I called out in episode three was the creator role or the talent, which in your case, Will went from being talent to actually being a creator because he learned and had it, he learned some savviness with these tools and, and now he's kind of a full stack. He can edit his own content now. So how does that team of four now work together when there probably is a little bit of redundancy across what they do? I like to think of it as backup as opposed to redundancy. <laughs> yeah, redundancy, probably not the greatest word. It's uh, it's good to have those redundancies. So we do have very clear, as you would always need to in a team like this, um, areas of responsibility. So we think about you know our typical sort of racy model in terms of who's responsible for different channels, for different activation points. Who is it that's going to be part of the decision-making process? Who's going to be part of the creative process for those? So we do clearly outline those and make sure that we don't have any overlap in terms of actual accountability. 
So again, one individual owns the YouTube channel. Another individual owns the TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn channels. Another owns the newsletter. And those kind of cover our main primary channels. So by having that, they're always the ones ultimately responsible for ensuring every week we have a full content calendar, an activation plan, and so on for their individual channels. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And, if, and, and from a channel perspective, that is important because you want to ensure there aren't on a given day. And we've had this where like somebody posts a TikTok and literally two minutes later, somebody else does because they didn't know the other person was doing it. And it just, you know, sort of repeats the effort. So that's really, really important. And then from there, you know, we ensure that we do have a consistent calendar across the team that we review twice a week. We have team standups on Mondays and Wednesdays. And each of those start with a review of the upcoming content calendar to make sure we're all in sync and understand what we're each contributing and, and where we're landing. So those are a couple of the simple things to make sure that we aren't stepping on each other's toes and that we're making the most efficient use of our time. And then there's lots of other fun things that happen where the real velocity starts to kick in for uh, the creative process. Yeah. So that, that's what I really want to dive into is the creative process. So you've got your two meetings every week where you're getting on the same page with the content calendar. But how do you take these really talented people, creative people, how do you create the magic so that what pops out of this four-person, three-person super team ends up being the stuff that builds an audience of 100,000 plus people? There's a few things we've done that have worked really, really well. One is everybody on the team has a weekly one-on-one -on -one with everybody else effectively, right? So I, I have a one-on-one -on -one with my editor-in-chief. I have a one-on-one -on -one with my creator, with our social lead, and they each have one-on-ones with each other as well. And so that's always created this sort of, you know, very collaborative environment, of course. And we have hyperactive Slack channels. You know, we have about 120 Slack channels. Is it everybody distributed or are you guys all in the same building? No, we're fully distributed. So all of our videos are created in a distributed environment. Yeah, none of us ever see each other in real life. So this is certainly very active. You know, we have Slack channels for all our different projects, for all our different channels and all those kinds of things. We have consistent one-on-ones in addition to those team huddles. And, um, but we also make sure that we make time in those team huddles for creative brainstorming, ideation, and effectively pitches for across the team. Those happen in Slack channels as well, right? If somebody has an idea for a meme, they'll toss it out there. And if they get a bunch of thumbs up or a bunch of laughy responses, it ships. If it's radio silence, they're like, oh, I guess that one didn't land. Here, I'll toss out <laughs> another one, right? Um, and so we have a very safe space to be able to do that first and foremost. And we're yeah. all very comfortable being critical of each other's work. Uh, when I say critical, I mean constructive. Yeah. Was that a fight for you? Was that a battle? Was Has that kind of been the case since day one? It's... Um, Generally speaking, the the collaboration, the openness, the transparency, the ability to provide critical feedback has been very good within the team. And we've had to foster that from the very early days. And we, you know, we almost have, there's almost an unspoken rule where people, with the exception of like quick TikToks that just need to get created and shipped, most other content, a pre-release version is shared with the team. You know, we use frame.io for our videos and, you know, the link is always shared around that people have a chance to go in, drop in some comments, some feedback. And so there's always this sort of collaborative process. Uh, people don't have time or don't want to, they don't have to, right? But it gives everybody a chance to uh, to sort of collaborate and provide feedback to a certain point, of course, because there are times where people are like, I love all the feedback, but you know what? I just need, I just want to ship this and I think it's great. Let's go. And we also appreciate and support that. 
right? And we know we're producing this high velocity media brand. It's like we're a newspaper. It's like, it's got to ship tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. So somebody's got to make a call and we got to run with it. So it's been very healthy um, from the beginning, but where we did see the, the biggest challenge, and you alluded to this in the last episode, was um, a little bit between the creative and the creator mindsets. And this is often where it gets into the, you know, striving for perfection versus ship and move on and like, let's get on to the next one. And that's a tough thing in any content team or any creative team to deal with. But when you're in a media brand mentality of every day we're shipping new things, it becomes a hypersensitive topic. Yeah, very meta because episode three of of this series, when I, I, I my mic was... I was using my laptop mic instead of my actual mic. And Dan was like, Hey man, I, I think your wrong mic is on. And so I looked and I was like, Oh my God. So you Tyler were like, Oh, you could go back and re-record all your parts. And I was like, absolutely not. No way in hell I'm going to do that. But I, I just recorded like a quick two minute intro for our producer to add on to the front of the episode to be like, Hey, this is James from the future telling you that I suck. And so that creative versus creator, obviously I am not the creative perfectionist romantic about the craft. I lean a little bit more toward the creator, just ship it and go. And so that's uh, is a real life example of, of exactly what you're talking about there. Dan, what were you, you're about to chime in on this creative versus creator idea. No, he just said something that I think was really critical because a lot of companies struggle with this. And I just wanted to highlight it because I'm like, no, this was important. You essentially just said you had a what I call a Netflix uh, style of decision-making that's really important, which is the creator has the ultimate like ability to pull the trigger on whether it gets posted or not, but they are still diligent in gathering all the feedback and are responsible for that feedback. They whether they have to post it or not, which is a Netflix, that's kind of the thing is you have to tell everybody what you're doing, get all the feedback, but you still ultimately get to make the call. And in content making, that's just so important because we don't have enough time to get approval from everybody. You have to post and go, but still you're actually, you are taking the time to get feedback, but you're still giving the responsibility to the people you've hired that are experts at their thing to be able to make the call and move forward, which allows for speed, but also allows for improvement. It, it does. I think that's really important. And that's part of the, the velocity and it's part of the pairing that up with quality. But what we've also done there is we've made sure that that's a distributed model where it's not just, you know, in a lot of marketing teams, it might be one person is ultimately responsible for making that call. In this case, to your point, the the creator or, you know, more, more often the owner of the channel is that you know, uh, one that's making that call. Often they're one and the same, right? And so, for example, in our team, the creator slash Will, he's got the call over, you know, TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn. Jesse, our social media and content strategist, he owns our YouTube channel. He makes that call, right? And he's the but one- is Will the, the talent in those YouTube videos or is Jesse the talent? No, Will is the, the primary talent okay. um, as well. And then Tanya, who is our editor-in-chief, and our you know she owns the newsletter. And she makes that call on, okay, the newsletter, right? Last call, any other feedback, but I'm shipping this and it's going. And if she knows next week there isn't enough content to fill out the newsletter, then you know she's out there rallying the troops to get that done. And so having that distributed model with very clear ownership and responsibility, but also... The people who are shipping are also the ones who are responsible largely for the creation. And it's a very different model than what a lot of marketing teams have, where the person who creates 
is different from the person who ships, which is different from the person who has like responsibility to make a final go or no go decision. And so it creates a really interesting dynamic. It also creates some risk, of course. But I think what we've seen is that for a media mentality, oh, the benefits so far outweigh the, the risks. So with all the different content channels that you have going on and all these different personalities, you got content going on all over the place all the time. How do you bring unity between all the pieces? Otherwise, they could be all over the place all the time. And what's actually pulling it all together so you know it's sales feed? Yeah, well, it's it's a that's a great question, and there's actually an interesting thing that we've um, we've done that relates back to process as well. There is intentionally a thread of consistency in the content across each of the channels, and what I mean by that is we will be intentional about. In many cases, we will create a video uh, about a certain topic, and when we're doing such, we'll think ahead of time. Okay, this is going to be an important video for our YouTube channel, and this is how it's going to manifest. But there's also going to be these, a series of TikTok videos that are going to either come out of it slash be created in parallel. And those TikTok videos are going to then be repurposed on our LinkedIn channel because, you know, uh, FYI folks, LinkedIn is where adults watch TikToks. (laughs) And like, that's, that's what it's become. And it's funny, like as much as I say, we do create a lot of content just for LinkedIn, Quite often, our TikToks posted on LinkedIn have the most engagement. And so we're very intentional in that. And and so our audience will kind of get some consistency across them in terms of what they're seeing. There's consistency in the talent and personalities. There's always consistency in the tone, right? And, And people, no matter where they find us, our promise always reigns true, right? We have a very clear promise for our media brand. It's to help salespeople learn, laugh, and live a better life in sales right? That's it. And so we always reflect on that in all of our channels. And we say, is our content delivering on that? So there are a number of things we do to create that consistency and experience. But at the end of the day, our TikTok channel has way more humor content than our YouTube channel, right? And so we also, there's also sort of this, you know, recognizing that the different channels we use, the different formats we have, some are better suited for certain things than others. So we're also not religious about that of saying every channel needs to look the same and have the same content. We take advantage of what works best on each, but we find those consistent threads of the tone, the personalities, the style of content, and making sure they all live up to that fundamental promise. So it sounds like there's three things, that you have a brand guide that has an overarching theme, style, personality that you just said. The second thing is some of it's being repurposed, so that brings some unity. And the third thing that I think I'm hearing is that essentially you're picking out themes that you kind of stick to for, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, is there like a weekly theme that you pick out with the newsletter and then everybody kind of sticks broadly to that theme that brings it together? Not specifically um, in that way, but what we will do is that the theme is more around a hero topic that we want to explore for our audience. So I'll pick, you know, a good example, um, objection handling, right? So salespeople love their objection handling or they don't love it, one or the other, I'm not sure. They have to do it. So we, you know, we said, you know what, this is a really fun topic to explore. And so we started with a really hero YouTube video approach. We said, you know what? We're going to like list out all the objections you can get in sales. And then we're going to sort of tell you what not to say, what you kind of want to say, but shouldn't. And then what you should say, 
right? So it was kind of like the, you know, 33 sales objections, what not to say and what to say. And so again, the sort of what not to say was a way to infuse our humor, our brand, our style, and almost make it even more of a YouTube style video, right? And so we, you know, we sort of built that outline and went, okay, boom, there it is. And then we very, very quickly went, oh my goodness, this is like 33 TikToks. Like each one of these objections is an individual TikTok. And so, you know, we can kind of create this in parallel, but film it when we do for our YouTube channel, make sure we do it in a way that we know we can like cut vertical videos well for TikTok. Oh, and by the way, this, once it's done, will also reverse engineer into an incredible blog post, which for us then goes on our Vidyard, right? You haven't heard me say much about Vidyard, but this starts to dovetail into our conversion strategy, which we'll get to in a future episode, foreshadowing. And we say this becomes a great blog post on vidyard.com around how to handle 33 different sales objections, basically taking the script and reverse engineering it. And, um, and so now these become, and then of course on LinkedIn, now it's like, oh, now we should like tease out five of the objections and then drive them back to the YouTube channel to discover the other, you know, 28. And then of course, once we start to do this, the next newsletter just sort of organically becomes like the objection handling newsletter and it features the YouTube video it, and, um, you know, it sort of talks about it as a main theme, but not exclusively, we'll, we'll always mix it up a little bit. But that's an example of how we'd rally around a topic and find ways for it to manifest across. Because once you do that first research, and you go, we know that the objections, we know how to handle them. Now you go, geez, this is a bunch of content, right? This is a long form video, a bunch of short form videos, a bunch of LinkedIn posts. And so that's how we get that velocity, right? It's not like every day, it's like, shoot, what are we talking about today? Um, and that's a good sort of strategy for any content approach. So it's not so much a theme where you're being like, hey, we're doing it on objections. Like everybody go do your thing and come back and we'll see what we all got together. You kind of brainstorm the things you could do around it and then- come to a conclusion together on how that can fuel the whole week or maybe longer? Yeah, it, um, it, it does depend on like the topic, but in this case, yeah, this is one that was like brought to the table, um, in this case by our lead talent, right? And who was recognizing this as an opportunity. And then, but what happened then was it got brainstormed with the rest of the team and Jesse, who is our YouTube lead, right? Very astutely went, oh my goodness, I like, hold the phones here, I can already see the thumbnail image, number one. He's like, I got the thumbnail image. And I can see how this like plays out as a YouTube video. So you guys talk about these other things. Give me like half a day to go off and brainstorm how this manifests as a YouTube video. And I'm going to come back to you guys and pitch what that's going to look like. And we go, cool, go off and do that, right? Um, and then Will's like, yeah, and I'll, I'll come and pitch what the TikToks are going to look like. And then they come back together and they go, aha, right? And it sort of melds. And then like literally the next day, they're filming this, right? Because like all of a sudden the script just sort of falls out of the conversation. Will's like, I got this. And Jesse's like, I got the format. The, the thumbnail image is already done we better ship something soon, right? <laughs> it's a very almost like, you know, kind of fun process, but that's kind of the mentality and the flow. And they're not like, okay, we'll schedule this for two months from now. And then Tanya's like, amazing. I didn't have a hero piece for next week's newsletter. Let's get this done by Friday, giddy up. And so we almost like intentionally play off of the momentum of ideas. And we, we like, when somebody's got a great one, we're like, let's do this now while we're all excited about it. Cause that's when we're gonna do our best work. And if there was something else more important scheduled, we got to figure out, is it more important or could that one be pushed? Let's fuel the energy based on the ideation. And I think that's how the best SNL skits are probably written as well, right? 
That's interesting. But because you have a whole team that's dedicated to nothing but this stuff, there's no other responsibilities, no marketing responsibilities, no production responsibilities, no dev, no nothing. They can actually afford to be able to come up with all these kinds of things because that's all they're doing is to be able to pivot, do come up with a full video really quickly because, well, they don't have other priorities. And then my job as the team leader, who's always thinking about how can I make sure we all have jobs a year from now? My (laughs) job is to then go, this is great. If you're all excited about it, I'm excited about it. But now let me start to think about how does this connect to our conversion strategy and provide value back to Vidyard. And that's when like, I sort of chip away at that behind the scenes while they're all having fun. And then I shouldn't say that. (laughs) And then we, and then again, it all comes back together and I'm like, oh, I got this idea for how this, and then they're all like, oh, this is great. Right. And so, you know, that still gets, gets sort of part of the process, but we didn't start with how do we create a conversion to Vidyard? We start with the idea. We start with the creative manifestation. We start with what does our audience want? And then we go, is there a way for this to kind of bring people back here? And if there's no natural way, we don't do it. We're like, you know what? No, let's commit to the audience. But if there is a natural opportunity, then we go, great. Let's make sure one of those objections you talk about how to handle it via a video message. And by the way, if you want to do that, Vidyard's a great tool, right? So we weave it in naturally if we can. But that's my job is to keep an eye out for those opportunities. Tell me a little bit more about how you're pacing this. Are you getting all this content done a week ahead, the week of, or how far out are you going? It certainly depends, but generally speaking, I mean, I can tell you right now, we're anything that's launching next week is in creation right now. Like where we don't, we don't, and most of it is like just getting started. So most of it is like a a few day turnaround at most. I don't know what TikToks are going to go out tomorrow. I'll find out when Will figures it out, which will probably be later tonight or tomorrow morning, but like YouTube videos. But here's an important thing for a lot of these things, um, particularly our YouTube channel strategy, our podcasts, right? We do have a long-term list of ideas and kind of ones that we're we're, we're thinking about. TikToks as well. There's a bunch of things, but usually it's like, I feel like I'm going to come up with something better tomorrow. So it's kind of like the the plan B list. But for our YouTube channel, we've got eight or nine different videos we know we want to make. And so it's not that we're not planning, it's that we're in a high velocity of create, ship, get on to the next one. And so again, what we're working on now, we'll ship on Monday or Tuesday, and then we'll start working on something that we'll probably ship on Friday, right? And so that's kind of how we think about it. I just, I love seeing how big of a nerd Dan is when it comes to this kind of stuff, <laughs> digging into, I knew, I knew episode four was going to be his moment to shine because <laughs> the, the marketing nerd is like, how, how do I, how do I roll? How this? do we do it? We got to figure out how to do it. What are the details? Give me the details, man. Give me the details. Uh, I'm, I'm loving, I'll invite you to our next team meeting, Dan, and you can just be a fly on the wall. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you just made this guy's afternoon. So. Dan, you had wanted to talk about, you know, success measurement and measuring individuals, measuring the team as a whole. You mentioned, Tyler, just now that you're not coming into this with like the conversion in mind. So they're probably, I would imagine they're not measured on how many of the views of this YouTube video converted into a demo of, you know, Vidyard, but how are you measuring their success? So we have, uh, I'd say what three main tiers that we look at. Number one is our reach and, you know, expanding our, what we call our community, which we talked about earlier. I define our community as basically our, our followers. 
And, uh, and so re- reach is a, a very important thing for us. Every quarter, we want to see a nice exponential curve of, uh, of people following us, and that's a good signal. The second one, which is more important, is our engagement metrics. And so we look at engagement, and I, and I, I think of that as resonance. So I think about the, sort of these three R's. There's reach and resonance. Resonance is about engagement, and we look at that across each of our channels, including our newsletter. So on TikTok, engagement is measured by comments. On um, LinkedIn, it's measured by reactions plus comments plus reshares. On YouTube, it's measured by watch time. And on our newsletter, it's measured by, you know, both our, you know, opens and click-throughs. Measuring all that, is that, are you looking at all that every week and reporting back to the team? Is that your managing editor who's who's doing So that? it is our editor-in-chief who also, so part of her role is to manage the content calendar, also to centralize our reporting uh, on our metrics. But the, the individuals feed into that, right? So Jesse, who owns the YouTube channel, he pulls together all the YouTube analytics and feeds them into, you know, we have a very sophisticated spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> that everything funnels into. And uh, we hit the refresh button and I add a little uh, line to the chart and it all looks lovely. Is there a part of the process, Tyler, where you guys are using the data to then inform new ideas? Oh yeah, on, like, for hey, sure. This objection handling video went bananas. We should probably double down on it. In so many ways. Yeah. And this is actually one of the nice things about having these sort of distributed responsibilities and, and deep expertise, right? So we, we don't look at it at a more of a topical level, though sometimes there'll be signals of that of like, hey, this topic flopped across all these channels. Let's never talk about it again. But, you know, we'll see like Jesse, who runs our YouTube channel and, and kind of our, our core social specialist. He's always looking at that every video and he's looking at it like at nauseum. He's like, what was the velocity after posting? What did we see? Um, again, what is the engagement time? You can also see like where are the sources of people. And he's thinking about a combination of are they generating engagement from our existing audience versus are they generating net new um, viewers, right? And he's looking at in YouTube, you can see which videos are driving new subscribers, right? And so he's looking at all those things and then making you know, smart recommendations back to help further both our YouTube strategy. And then some of that informs back to our just our core content. Will will do the same on TikTok and Instagram, and Tanya will do the same in our newsletter. So everybody sort of thinks about their channels top to bottom and are always looking at what's working, what's not, how do we improve this? Because you, you need to get to that level of granularity. You can't just look at it at the surface level and say, this video bombed, we should never do that again. It's like, well, wait a minute, it crushed it on LinkedIn, but it sucked on TikTok, right? What can we infer from that? And let's use it to inform our channel plus content plus promotion strategy in a much richer way. My last question here, and then I'll hand it over to Dan to see if he has anything to, to close out. But when we were talking, uh, I think this was probably a few weeks ago, we were talking about a, a video that you guys did. There's a spoof on the Hallmark channel. And so it was your, it was your sales mark video. And so I, just because I want to, I want you to share a story of like, you know, sometimes the process works we follow the process to a T and then other times, like what's so beautiful about the team that you've constructed is the agility that it allows and affords. Dan mentioned it earlier, right? These, these folks are focused on the media strategy, the media brand. And so there's a lot of room in there for agility and moving fast. Can you tell us the story of how that sales mark video came to life? It was one of my favorite videos I think we did last year, though you'll hear me say that like every day for a different video. <laughs> This was um, it meant to be a humorous, like, 
engagement video, right? This was just about like giving to the community, making them laugh, making them say, oh my goodness, you get me. I need more of this. And the actual, uh, the, so the true story to where it came from, a friend of, of sales feed, Alexine Mudawar. She runs um, the Women in Sales Club and is you know very active sales evangelist out there. She actually pinged uh, Will and I. It was like late at night on like a Thursday, I think it was. And she sent us a, a message on LinkedIn saying, hey guys, I was just watching a Hallmark movie. You know, yes, I watch those, LOL. And I thought, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be hilarious to do a sales version of one of these Hallmark Christmas specials? And so, you know, immediately I was like, yes, in all caps, like, of course that would be funny. Like the cheesiness of the Hallmark movies, the predictability of the plot, you know, um, we could totally make a sales version of that. So then Will and I started riffing, right? And we basically like wrote a script with Alexine on LinkedIn about like what this would be. And, and it's like midnight and I'm, I'm literally, I remember it. I'm drinking a beer in my living room, writing this script collaboratively with Will and Alexine. Anyways, we get to the end of it. And then the next day we like, you know, we ask Alexine to go film a couple scenes. And then as we're talking about it, we have a different idea the next day. You know, we got the footage from Alexine. We were like reviewing the script and then Will had another stroke of in in inspiration. And he went, hey, what if instead of doing like a mock little like trailer for one movie, I saw this funny thing that somebody did where they, where they made fun of the fact that Hallmark has like 20 Christmas movies coming out. And wouldn't it be funnier if we did like a trailer for like this year, Salesmark isn't releasing one, but 15 different sales holiday classics. <laughs> and then I'm like, that makes me laugh even more because imagine what they all could be, right? And then we started going through all these sales or these Christmas movies that could be sales versions. You know, of course, Die Hard, which we all agree is a Christmas movie. Well, Obviously. Dial Hard, right? Like, of course, <laughs> Die Hard has to be turned into Dial Hard. And like Christmas vacation has to be turned into no Christmas vacation because of course you haven't like hit your quota yet. And we just started riffing on all these like parodies, right? And we're like, oh my goodness, this is it. So anyways, we ended up then recrafting the script. And like two days later, we like went back to the rest of the team. Jesse and Tanya had no idea we were working on this. And we basically went back. Will had like made a rough cut and they were like, where did this come from? Where was I? Did I fall asleep somewhere? Like, oh my goodness, what the heck happened? And then, um, you know, Will actually reached out to all these other friends of sales feed. He got Scott Lease to like to contribute a video. He got like Aunt Natoli. We got all these different Tom Boston to be these like stars in these different trailers. And literally in like three days, we got clips from about a dozen different people. Will edit them into this ridiculous video. <laughs> He even like shot a scene where he was leaping from his car to the plane to get the person in dial hard to sign the agreement. And there's like security footage from his home of him lying in his driveway on a green screen with a fan blowing on his hair so that he looks like he's holding onto the window, right? Now the creative, right? Dan right now is like, oh my God, I'm cringing so hard thinking about Will trying to do a green screen scene on his front yard. And I'm like, yeah, it looked terrible. But holy cow, is it funny. And part of it was like, part of its humor was how ridiculous and low budget it was. Anyway, That's long amazing. story long, we like cranked that out in like four days. And it was the funniest thing I've seen. And like all these contributors shared it around. And it was yep. an amazing piece of just joy for our yes. community. And most teams that would have taken not like four days, but four weeks at a minimum. Well, four months. I mean, or four maybe months. four months. See? Yeah. <laughs> And it would have been such higher quality, 
but it would not have resonated as well. Yeah. I promise yeah. you, right? And so again, part of the charm was like the fact that this was just this high velocity, this fun thing, it was inclusive, but it was very genuine, right? It was our sense of humor and it was just a give to the community. So it's a good example where, you know, it was a, it was an interesting process. Yeah. And we knew between Will and I, we're like, we'll pull Jesse and Tanya in when the time is right, but we're on something here and they've got a couple big things they're working on. Let's just see how far we can get this. Yeah. Oh, the last piece I'll tell you is that on the night before shipping all through the house, a creature was stirring. It was me with my mouse clicking into Canva, making thumbnail image, poster images for each of these movies. <laughs> I can't believe I just came up with that rhyme, but I was. <laughs> it was like literally one in the morning. I was in Canva making posters for Dial Hard and No Christmas Vacation and all these movies. And it was the best time of my life, right? And like Will's like, so we're in there collaborating in Canva on like these, these posters. And maybe I'll end it there because I could keep going. But the interesting thing from a process perspective, a lot of what we've talked about are fueled by cool new tech, right? Yeah. We use Canva to do like really iterative, high velocity design within the team, right? I told you we don't have a designer, yeah. but we make like all this stuff, right? So we use Canva, right? We use frame.io, which is a super collaborative little video, you know, um, yeah. Uh, feedback tool. We use Trello as a content calendar and board. And it's just like all these tools that are just like easy, simple, yeah. meant for, you know, real humans totally change the game. And we're like, we can make a creative team, right? We all use basic video editing tools and we create this stuff. I don't even know what we'll use to produce this, right? And I don't care. It doesn't matter. He could have done it with all his iPhone. It doesn't matter to me, right? But we're empowered and, by this. And that agility is what leads, I think, to the creative breakthroughs. The fact that you're leading the team in such a way where Will can go, oh, but what if? I mean, it's it's that kind of improv, what is it, yes and kind of mentality. Obviously, you fostered a very creative environment. And, and I just think that that's, you've shared a ton of takeaways here. Dan? All my questions were answered. I'm amazed that a CMO is in Canva making posters at midnight. <laughs> I'm like, never have I ever heard a CMO use Canva. <laughs> it's amazing. That's incredible. Awesome. So we're going to be back next week with episode five. And, and you alluded to it earlier, Tyler, but we're going to be talking about something that I think a lot of executives are really interested in. So the creators and the creatives are going to be really interested in, in what we've been talking about. But I think next week's episode, episode five, we're ta really talking about the connective tissue, the conversion strategy. How does this media brand actually uh, drive business results for Vidyard, the company that, you know, this is on Vidyard's dime, that that all of this fun is being had and all these, you know, Will out in his driveway on a green screen filming a <laughs> dial hard video. It's got to be paid for by somebody. And, and in this case, it's Vidyard. And so what's, what's the ROI there? What's the connective tissue? How do you connect the the audience that you're building with sales feed over there. So stay tuned for next week's episode of the Media Brand Series with Tyler. We're going to talk about that connective tissue. We talked about it offline. It's going to blow your mind because the methodical thought that he has put into what it takes to measure this stuff well, uh, you heard a little bit of it in, in how he measures the team's success, but I think you're going to be really impressed. So make sure to come back next week and check that out. And that's it for today's Media Brands episode. Remember, there are a lot of ways to win. Commodity content is the enemy. Focus on affinity over awareness. For all things B2B growth, visit b2bgrowthshow.com and connect with us over on LinkedIn. We are out. 
B2B Growth is brought to you by the team at Sweetfish Media. Here at Sweetfish, we produce podcasts for some of the most innovative brands in the world. And we help them turn those podcasts into micro videos, LinkedIn content, blog posts, and more. We're on a mission to produce every leader's favorite show. Want more information? Visit sweetfishmedia.com.